This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Miss it. Heavenly Father, Lord, bless your word tonight. I pray that you are opening up our hearts and our minds. Plant seeds, Lord, the enemy is going to try to steal seeds left and right, but I pray that you are rebuking him and blocking him at every turn. Thank you, Lord, that your way is the most fulfilling, that you have designed us, Lord, to enjoy your gifts. And I thank you for all your gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. So as a kid, I did a lot of traveling. I was like six, seven, and my dad would drive from church to church, and we lived in this travel trailer, and there was churches up in Oregon that we would visit, and I had great friends up there, and to get to those churches, we had to go through a place called Grant's Pass. Has anybody in here by chance driven through Grant's Pass? Let me give you an idea. Imagine mountains, windy roads, snow and ice, and no railing along the roads. Now, As a parent driving a, I don't know, a 40-foot trailer, you may be terrified. As a seven-year-old, this was the best day of my life. I'm like, yeah! I'm like looking over the side like, hey, look, a cliff! This is great! You know, we're like taking turns, you know? I'm like seeing dirt fly off the side, you know? Like, it was awesome. There's a reason that they install guardrails on the roads. And it's a really, really good reason. Because they don't want cars like... Right? If you have the maturity to recognize it, you will learn that God's commandments, his principles, his guidelines are like guardrails for our lives. They are from a father that loves us. And he's not trying to stop us from having fun. He's trying to keep us from from being a wreck. We need to start seeing God's word and God's direction as guardrails in our lives with big blinking LED signs screaming, stay back, don't come this way, don't go any further. There's nothing but destruction beyond this point. As we begin tonight, I would like to show you God's beautiful guardrails in your lives. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to have the marriage that you've always hoped for? If you take a fire, and you put it into the context of a fireplace in your home, it's beautiful. It has that wonderful crackling sound. It warms the whole house. It, it, it gives light. You can use it for cooking or roasting marshmallows. It's like a great, great thing. But if you take that same fire and you put it into the context of the middle of your living room, it's now become threatening and dangerous and destructive. Context is everything, and the same is true for how God designed sex. He designed it to be within a certain context that is beautiful and good and awesome. And then whenever we try to twist it and manipulate it and take it out of the context and put it into something else, it becomes dangerous. God set up guardrails for us as a gift so that God could bless 
his people, his followers, with the best marital awesome gift. And I'm telling you that the guardrails are there. Those boundaries are not there, not to stop you from having freedom, but he's trying to set up guardrails so that you will have more freedom. Because sex in a marriage that is baggaged down with old hurts and old wounds and old relationships and old regrets is not free. It is heavy and it's awkward and it takes growth and and time together to get through a lot of the baggage that you could bring in. So for us to embrace God's gift, we're going to have to put it within the guardrails, within the fireplace that he established since the beginning of time. And here's how God does establish this. This goes way back to the beginning of creation. Genesis 2, 21 through 25. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that Yahweh God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is someone like me. We're connected. She's part of me. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. He's going to walk away from everything else, and he's going to choose. He's going to hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And I told you a couple weeks ago, I want you to have a naked marriage. I want you to have one that is intimate, that isn't full of, of layers of that baggage that I was talking about earlier. I want you to be transparent and comfortable with each other completely. That's God's idea. It's God's design. But we will take, and we have an enemy that takes sex, and he creates something destructive out of it. If you look in the Bible, the word adultery doesn't just mean that someone cheats on their wife or on their husband. Adultery in the original word means any sex outside of a marital covenant, which could be before marriage. It could be outside of marriage in any way, shape, or form. Within God's guardrails, there is freedom. And God wants his people to have the best sex on the planet. Check out Song of Solomon sometime. Like he dedicated a book to saying, you guys are supposed to be blessed with this gift if it's within the right guardrails. And he even encourages married couples to have sex often. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5. through Look it up another time. Again, just like dating, just like marriage, God's people, Christians, Jesus followers, have a high view of sex. We put it on a pedestal as something that is valuable, that is purposeful, that is beautiful. And when we look at our culture all around, it's so saturated with it that you might think that culture thinks it's a great thing, that that culture has a high view. But instead, culture has a very low view because they make it something that's cheap and meaningless and empty and nothing more than just physical pleasure. Where we recognize that there is intimacy both emotionally, spiritually, on top of all of that. We have a very high view, and the culture, because it's so saturated, has created a myth that I want to debunk tonight. Please allow me. Give me the the leniency to speak into your lives because I love you, and I want more from you than what a lot of your friends and the people outside of this room want for you. The cultural myth is this. Get all you can from whoever you can because the temporary physical pleasure is all there is to it. This myth, and I will defend this, ignores even scientific proof that it affects us emotionally and psychologically, along with physically. Further, the Bible teaches us that it even affects us spiritually. This myth is pervasive because we have a very real enemy. And our enemy takes something good and he twists it into evil. He takes something like hard work 
and he twists it into greed. He takes something like love and he twists it into lust. And your enemy wants to sabotage your life. He is out to break down Jesus' followers. He wants to saturate the world out there so much with this tool, with sex, that he keeps sinners in bondage, and he's hoping that he can lure God's people into the same slavery. Jesus calls him the prince of the power of the air, that he is like a roaring lion seeking who he can destroy, and he's looking at you. As a Jesus follower, you have a target on your back, and he wants to take you down. He wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. I want you to repeat after me. Steal, kill, destroy. That's his goal. And so he wants to convince you that those guardrails are not there so that you can have awesome sex. He wants to convince you that those guardrails are to stop you from having fun now. And if he can get you to rebel against the guardrails, he can get you to self-destruct. And here is the key. This is a beautiful statement. Hang on to this. The goal is so that he can self-destruct your family before you even have one. Why? Because if he can destroy your family, he can destroy the very church itself. The church stands on families. The church grows, and it is furthered by godly families. Why does he use this tool? Why does he use sex to try to trip up believers so much? What is so important here? There's a, a story about Eskimos, or Inuits, if you want to be politically correct. And if an Eskimo tribe is having a problem with wolves in the middle of the night, maybe attacking their cattle or, or threatening them in their homes. An Eskimo will hunt wolves, and they will take a long knife, and they will dip it in blood, and they'll let the blood dry, and then they'll dip it again. Isn't that right, Aiden? And then they'll dip it a third time, and they keep letting it dry over and over and over again until there's this thick layer of blood on the knife. Then they'll take that knife, and they'll bury the bottom, the hilt, into the snow and pack it in real tight so that the blade is just sticking out, this red buoy out of the white snow. And then the Eskimo goes to bed. And in the middle of the night, that wolf comes smelling the blood. And he comes up to this scent and begins to lick the knife and lick it and lick it. And he's hung into this flavor of blood until the point that the, he's no longer tasting the blood on the knife, but unknown to the wolf, he's tasting his own blood as he continues to lick the blade over and over and over again through the night. And the next morning, the Eskimo comes out, and he finds a dead wolf who has bled himself dry. And your enemy wants to convince you to get that first taste. Because sexual sin is just like that bloody knife. If you taste it just a little bit, you want more. Oh, this is way off my notes. But Proverbs says that there are several things that never have enough. And it's the, uh, one of them is the empty grave or the woman that can't have a child, but it also says the eyes. Our eyes can never have enough. And so if he can get us to just try a little taste, he can get us into self-destructing ourselves. 1 Corinthians is like was designed for this analogy. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 through 20 says this, Flee! Run away. Get out of there. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. 
So glorify God in your body. Talk about sinning against your own body. Translation, it makes you sabotage yourself. Our enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm going to go through how does he want to steal, kill, and destroy you physically? How does he use sex? I will make it explicit for a few minutes. And if you think that this is gross from your side, I had to research it for hours. So you're welcome. I love you. So these, I got all this information from the CDC, a credible source. These are some of the most common STDs that are out there. And the enemy, remember, this is, sexual sin isn't a sin against somebody else. It's actually sinning against yourself. Pay attention to this. Here we go. I want to go through these quickly. The first one is genital herpes. Whoopee. There is no cure. There's only medicine that helps with the outbreaks. A lot of people don't even know that they have it. I've, there's some stats right there. I'm just going to move quickly through these. One of the next ones, this is one of the most prevalent ones. This is the HPV, also known as genital warts. Oh, it's so gross. Do not click on a site with pictures. You will be scarred for life. Oh, my gosh. That was like six years ago when I first started research. I went to the CDC this time. They don't have pictures there. Ugh. The CDC has this to say about HPV. Pay attention. Nearly all sexually active people will get HPV sometime in their life. 14 million people are newly affected every year, and that is only the reported cases. How many of you in here would be like, oh, man, I got an STD. I'm going to go tell my mom. Right? Only of the reported cases, there are 14 new cases every year. COVID-19 in the United States has 11.3 million cases. There are 14 million new cases every year of this. If that doesn't shock you, Worldwide, COVID-19 has 55.3 million cases. The United States alone, there are 79 million cases. Yeah, sabotaging yourself. This is nasty. Oh. So anytime that you see up here that it says skin-to-skin contact, that means that a condom does not prevent very much. That only stops fluids. So anytime there's skin-to-skin contact, it is all kinds of engagement between people, as you see here. Vaginal, oral, anal, everything. You can get it. Gonorrhea. Hey, there's a cure. Whoopee. But gonorrhea cases are up 63% since 2014. Golly. Syphilis. 33,000 new cases in 2018, up 71%. Hey, congratulations. There's a cure on that one. By the way, all these that I've mentioned so far, girls, you can pass this to your child at childbirth. Yeah. That's heavy, right? Hepatitis B, which is basically a hardcore liver disease. There's acute and chronic. Chronic, there is no cure for. Chlamydia, 1.8 million new cases every year. It's up 19% since 2014. It's known as a silent disease because 70% of people don't know they have it. So your partner may think they're clear, and then you get it. Again, ladies, that can be passed to your child at childbirth. You already know about AIDS. There is no cure. 37 1,968 new cases in 2018 alone. Man, overall stats. There are 20 million new reported cases of STDs every year. More than half of those are under 24. So of all the people out there that are getting STDs, half of them are your age. More than 65 million people in the United States are currently living with an incurable STD. Every year, one in four teens contract an STD. One in four. That means across four years, all four 
Are you doing the math with me? If you are a virgin and have sex with someone who has had only one other partner, are you reading this too? You have a 70% chance of contracting an STD. Imagine, like, let's, let's get this down on an emotional level. There will be a time that most of you choose someone that you love and you want to give yourself entirely to, that you want to spend the rest of your life with, the person you want to protect most in the world. Imagine the conversation that you're going to have to have when things get really serious. That not only do you have to talk about, hey, I've kind of given myself away several times, but you're also having to tell them, I'm bringing something into our marriage that you're probably going to have too. Like that should hit home for us. And when we're talking about our enemy sabotaging relationships through sexual sin, it gets really real when we start thinking about questions like that. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Do, do these stats bring some reality to that? Like whatever your favorite TV show is that everybody's sleeping with each other, that's not showing you reality. This is reality. Think about, oh my gosh, just, it angers me. Think about, I, I got to pick on the guys because I've, it's real. And a guy is like, but, but I love you. That's why we should take this further. That's why we should go all the way because I love you. Don't you understand that what he's actually saying is, I'm willing to put you at risk? Like, that's not love. It's not love at all. That The CDC site actually said that women's bodies are more prone to catching STDs than even men's. If he loves you, he will protect you. You know, there's also a psychological side to sexual sin, and the enemy knows this. And you can confirm anything that I'm saying with Pat, biology teacher, We have a chemical in our brain. It's an amazing, awesome hormone that fires off in our brain. It's called the bonding hormone. It's called oxytocin. And it is given off during sexual stimulation. Now, this is really, really cool. God is so awesome. I love how he designed the human body. When it is handled God's way, on purpose, between you and one other, the person that you have chosen to be your one in the whole world for the rest of your life, This fires off over and over and over again every time you're together sexually. And it actually bonds your brains together. It tells your brain that this is your one person in the whole world. It makes them exclusive from everyone else where they are the most attractive person. It sets them apart where they're your one forever according to the chemicals in your brain. Isn't that amazing that God does that? What a beautiful gift he's done for his people. But whenever this is handled believing the myth that sex is nothing more than physical pleasure and we should get all we can with whoever we can, then what you're telling your brain is to bond with this person and maybe a few months later bond with this person and a couple weeks later bond with this person and next weekend bond with this person. And what do you think happens? Your brain isn't bonding with any one person and it actually frustrates and turns your brain numb to being able to having the ability to bonding with one person. Do you understand? Here's the root of infidelity. Here, is the, here it is inside of a person that says, the spouse that I have is not enough. I need more. Because this has been abused. Our enemy is stealing, killing, and destroying 
through convincing you that multiple partners is the best thing that happened, what, what it's doing is sabotaging your ability to be bonded to just one. Psych- psychiatrists have now diagnosed a syndrome called sexual anorexia. And this is where your spouse is unable to turn you on anymore because your brain is needing a multiplicity instead of just one. Like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming out of nowhere from this. I have friends my age that are struggling with this, that I have to talk to and pray with, that their marriages are on the rocks because, they, because of their past, because of what the enemy has done in them. Like I, I'm not just spitballing here. This is something very close to me that I want to spare you from, that I hurt for you, that I, I want to give you the best that I can, which is why I'm willing to tackle a, a really awkward subject, because I care about you guys. Think about this bonding hormone. Think about oxytocin and this multiple partner problem. If multiple partners over several months, like I laid out, can have that problem, how much more within someone who is regularly visiting pornography and looking at pornography, who's having multiple partners every night, according to their brain? How much more, how much faster are we damaging our brain Jesus understood this. Matthew 5, 27 through 28, he said, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Remember, we've redefined what adultery means. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus understood this. The sin has already happened within the safety of your screen. Oh, man. (laughs) Noah, do you know where the tape drawer is in the closet? No? Okay, I'm just going to give this to you because i got to spare some time. There's a great analogy, and you already know what's going to happen. Sam, are you going right now? You making it right? Go fast. you got to book it. And can I abuse you for the sake of the gospel? You better go fast. All right. <laughs> Satan desires to destroy your future marriage, future marriage with the decisions he can trip you up into now. He just wants you to get a taste. It's worth obeying God's guardrails. If you want something that society doesn't have, you're going to have to do something that society's not doing. And society is, is propagating this myth. You're going to have to choose to do something different. And Scripture teaches us to give our gift to only one person within that marriage covenant. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to have the marriage you've always hoped for? Come on, Sam. Andale, andale. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring Sam up here. I'm going to pull some strips of duct tape off of the roll, and I'm going to put it on his skin (laughs) because I love him. (laughs) Yes! Come on up, Sam. They have no idea what I'm about to do to you. All right, show me your arms. People. The duct tape represents oxytocin in your brain. And this duct tape is meant to be bonded with just one other person, right? But Sam, it's not Sam. We know Sam's a man of God. Let's call him Sam. But Steve. But Steve was at this party one time. Things got yeah, yeah. She she was really 
a really long-term relationship with a guy who told her, we're going to be together forever, right? And then Sam also got into, oh, that's not too bad. Sam also got into another relationship. They were together a while. Like they thought, you know, maybe she's going to be the one, you know. And you know what? It was awesome. They had this Christmas movie romance. They met, and they're like, yeah, we love each other forever. We're going to get married in like 10 minutes. And then they had this shotgun wedding. It was awesome, right? And their goal is to live happily ever after, bonded to just one person, right? Sam, are you able to separate those? See if we can. It was sticky, right? It was sticky. Yeah. But let's say, let's turn Sam back into Sam. And he has made a commitment as a young man of God, which you have, for sexual purity. And lo and behold, he has found a woman of God who also loves the Lord. No, no. Separate. Till terror do us part. All right, Sam, thank you very much. You've done a great job. You're so strong. But further, our enemy wants to use sexual sin to sabotage you physically, he wants to sabotage you psychologically, but he's also interested in sabotaging you spiritually. You know, I had. My dad was awesome. I don't know if this was incredible wisdom or if he just wanted to get around the subject. Love you, Dad. But his don't have sex before marriage talk took the length of our driveway. And it went something like this. And I kid you not, he's driving, he just looks over and he goes, Son, yes, Dad. If you have sex with a girl, she has control over you. You don't want a girl to have control over you. The end. Love you, Dad. You have to understand that it is no different with our very real, active, hateful enemy after you. If he can lure you into that first taste, you are handing over the leash to your enemy. When we have a God, check this out. 1 Corinthians, remember the second half of the verse? Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Whenever we let him lure us into the cultural myth, we are handing our enemy the leash to have control over us when God has purchased us with a high price to set us free. Isn't that amazing? That's who our God is. There's a beautiful story, and it's actually a very difficult story, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16. And I want to just give you sort of a synopsis. And it's meant to be a metaphor for God's people and the way that God's people have rejected and walked away from God. Please stay with me, guys. Over here. Hello. I may need a leader to sit over there. It's a beautiful story. And it opens with a baby that was abandoned at birth in the middle of a field. And it says this baby had its umbilical cord uncut. It was still gooey from the, from the birth issue. And this young man finds this baby screaming in a field, and he takes it home. 
And he takes this baby home and he, he raises her and he dresses her as a beautiful woman and she grows up and he gives her every good thing that she could have. And whenever she becomes of marrying age, they fell in love and he married her. And God is relating himself as a husband to his people. And he's saying, like, I raised you, I brought you out of Egypt, I raised you up, and I've committed myself to you, and you are committed to me. But what have you done as my people? And he goes on to tell the story about how this girl got distracted by other lovers. It took the first time and the second time. And soon she ran off from her husband and she spent her time with man after man after man after man after man. And it says that she became so filthy that men didn't even want her anymore. So that she began to start paying them money for sex because she was so, so low. She had defiled herself so much, and she's looking for value in other lovers. And God switches over and talks to Israel and says, look, I'm going to bring you back, whatever it takes. Even if I have to pour out my wrath against you, I'm going to bring you back because I care about you. And it closes with this beautiful sentence, and it says, I will come to you, and I will atone for all your sins. He is a God that is saying, no matter how far you've gone, I am still willing to come. And the word atone is beautiful. The word atone means to cover. You have to imagine Jesus coming up to you, a sinner, repentant on your face. Lord, I'm sorry. I know that I'm filthy in my sin. And Jesus comes and he takes his righteousness and he covers you with his own righteousness. How beautiful of a picture is that? You see, sin always leads, sin always leads to spiritual infidelity between us and our God. And we were rebellious against him. That's what our enemy wants us to do. He wants us to rebel against those guardrails. And it perverts our holiness and it robs us of the very freedom that God's given us. Sex in the fireplace, that marriage covenant, is love-making. It's beautiful. It bonds you, right? But outside that fireplace, it's, it's destructive. But I've got good news. I absolutely 100% stand on God's word when I I'm, get to declare that there is born-again virgins. There are people that have blown it, that have gone and messed up big time, who God is reaching out to to say, if you'll come back to me, I will cover you. I will atone you of your sins. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's that faithful husband. And just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us, thank you, Jesus, from all unrighteousness. Romans 8, 1 through 2, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, absorb this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is past. Old is past. Behold, the new has come. Forgetting those things which are behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for which Christ is calling me heavenward. That is the God you serve. That is the God that is calling you to come back. If you're in here and you're like, I've blown it. I don't know how to get back from from what I've done, and I don't know how to drop this baggage off. You can turn to Jesus Christ, who is standing with his arms outstretched, going, come home. I'll I'll be that father that wraps you up again, and I'll put my righteousness over you again. To God, you are washed white as snow. And get this, to your future spouse, you get to say to them, and it will be just as significant for you to say, you know what? I made mistakes, 
and I repented. But I have chosen from that day to this. You can look them in the eyes on your wedding night and say, I chose you even before I knew you from that day to this to be holy and completely yours. And I promise you it will be a gift of incalculable value. What a God we serve. How do we fight? How do we win? James 4, 7 through 8 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Be holy and completely his. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near. Maybe that's the key. Just draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, O you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Number one, commit. Make a commitment to yourself. I wrote it in my Bible as a kid. Make a commitment to be holy and set. Holy just means set apart. Like, hey, there's everybody out there that you could be involved with. I'm set apart from them for my Lord. You're set apart for your number one, who is Jesus Christ. And you're set apart for your future number two. Verbalize that commitment to people. Find five people in your life to commit to. Commit to yourself, right, in your Bible. Whatever you need to do, commit to God. Commit to a parent. Commit to a friend. Commit to a future boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, this is a commitment that I've made that I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to be holy for whoever my future spouse is. The second thing you can do is stay full of God's word. Press into him. Psalm 119, 9 through 10. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with my whole heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Your main motivation for sexual purity is to please your heavenly father, not just to avoid STDs, although that's terrifying, but it's to please Lord because absence And separation from him is far scarier than anything that we could have in our body. Three, and this is, I'm not going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do other than clear biblical truth that sex is supposed to be for marriage. But there's a whole lot of other layers and things. But I want to lay this out. I love how Leverence and Katie put it. Number three, keep your physicality, how physical you are, proportional to the level of commitment that you're in. Did that make sense at all? You remember those steps? I laid out eight steps for dating. There was like four or five steps before you even in a committed, exclusive relationship. And by that time, you should be pretty sure this is someone you want to be with the rest of your life. And if you're very, very wise, and they're very, very wise, you'll only have to get to that exclusive boyfriend, girlfriend once in your whole life. Oh, man, I wish I'd gone that route. I wish I had a youth pastor to beat me up over this. Keep physicality proportional to the level of commitment. Remember those steps. This is what you're going to do. Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon says in 8.4, do not arouse passion until the time is right. So you're going to ask yourself the question, where does that passion, where does that arousal begin when it comes to being physical? Where does it begin for you? You and the Holy Spirit are going to work this out. And then you're going to draw a circle around that. Here it is. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to dedicate that to the correct level of commitment, and that is marriage. And then you work backwards from there. Here is everything that is connected to sex and that initial passion. I'm going to put that into marriage and work backwards to those levels from there. Such as, it would not be proportional to make out with someone on the first date. It's not proportional to the level of commitment. Are you following me? Right? Y'all understand what I mean by proportional? Okay, cool. Number four, be accountable to someone with similar convictions. Find a friend and they may be struggling with the same struggles that you're in, and you say, look, let's just check in with each other on a regular basis. 
And I'm, you know what? Let's kick each other in the butt whenever we start failing. This is not a friend who tells you what you want to hear. You want to find a friend that they're willing to lose your friendship to be honest with you because they care about you. Number four, or no, number five, avoid people, places, and media that is places of temptation. You don't climb into the back seat of a car with somebody. Like that is a place of temptation. So you avoid those kind of places. You avoid the kind of people that are going to lure you into that, that are going to constantly make humor and, and push that kind of stuff. The people that are always talking about their latest escapades in the locker room, like those are the people you kind of avoid because you're trying to avoid that temptation. Avoiding that temptation is media. Oh my gosh. Every, like PG-13 movies are saturated in sex. Like, come on, guys. I just want to go watch superheroes beat each other up. Like, that's, that's it. Avoid media that is sexually tempting. Like, if it has nudity in it, get it out. You don't need to watch that. This is like, it really isn't adding that much value to your life anyway. Put your effort and time into something that's going to add value to you. Number six, and the last one, have a plan. Decide now who you will be in moments of pressure later. If you struggle with pornography, decide now how you're going to act the next time you're tempted. If you are drawn to having sex with your girlfriend or boyfriend, decide now who you're going to be then. Decide now how you're going to be whenever you're cornered by someone in a place that you probably weren't supposed to be at the be- to begin with. What's good news is 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that God will always make a way of escape. But here's wisdom talking. The longer you wait to escape, the harder it's going to be. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to have the marriage you always wanted? Are you willing to have sex God's way? 1 Corinthians 13.4 has, and this is the love chapter. You know it. Love is patient. Love is kind. But it opens with love is patient. Its number one qualifier is that it's willing to wait. It's willing to have delayed gratification. True love actually waits. And this is Jackie's quote. She has used it for years with youth girls. It is simply this. Love is patient. Sex is awesome. Wait for it. Atta girl, Jackie. There was, oh yes. Jackie's awesome. She's probably watching right now, so give her a big hand. There was a girl who could not wait for her 16th birthday because her parents had agreed to allow her to begin dating within conditions after she turned 16. And so she had this great big party. She had lots of friends, and it was great, but she couldn't wait till the party was over and cleanup was done so she could finally have that conversation, that release from her parents. And so it came, and it went, and her parents took her out to this great dinner, and they're in this fine restaurant, and... She was anxious. She's like, okay, so can I now date anybody that I want to date? And so her father and mother looked at each other, and they had this silly little smile. And they set on top of the table a white jewelry box and pushed it over to her. And so she took the box, and she's like, what is that? Ooh, I'm 16. And she opens it up, and it's this beautiful charm bracelet with six charms. And as she looks at them, she sees stones of, of all different colors. And her father goes on to explain what this bracelet means. And he says, you know what? We are going to allow you to date whoever you want to date. And we're only going to place one condition on you. Look at the, look at the bracelet. One of the charms is polished granite. And that represents your first kiss. Another stone is pink quartz. And it represents your first boyfriend. The green stone, the emerald, represents the first time that you tell someone that you love them. The pearl represents your first engagement. The ruby represents your first I do. 
And that's right. It's a diamond. And it represents the first time you give the gift of your body. And here's the only single condition we're going to give you that with each first in your life that you give the represented stone to the person that you share that gift with that first with. And she says, how could I do that? These, these are so expensive. How can I just give them away to some boy? And the father replied, your purity, your heart is far more valuable than rocks. If you can't find it in your heart to give away your little charms, you shouldn't be giving away the things they represent. But the story continues. I want to read it for you. I know we're running over time a little bit. Bear with me for just a couple minutes. This is her story. A few weeks after that night, I was hanging out with my friends at the beach. Chad wouldn't swim. Chad. Because I wouldn't swim. I was more interested in reading than getting caked with sand, and he was more interested in sitting with me than swimming with his buddies. He was sweet, he was cute, and he tried to kiss me. I was thrilled for a nanosecond when a certain piece of gray granite flashed through my mind and made me move out of his reach. I was severely annoyed. Annoyed at my parents, annoyed at my bracelet turned into handcuffs, but most of all, annoyed at myself. I was letting a little rock dominate my romantic life. I furiously glared at it during the whole embarrassing walk to the bathhouse. But then God hit me upside the head with a shocking epiphany. If I couldn't give up my little chunk of granite, it was a part of my bracelet, which in a sense made it a part of me. I wouldn't be whole without it. It wasn't a priceless gem, yet it was still valuable. Kevin came along eventually. We had fun. We hung out a lot. I thought I might love him. I thought I might tell him so. I thought of my pearl. It turned out I didn't love him as much as I thought I did. So my parents had been right. They couldn't make me believe the things they wanted me to believe, so they let God and my bracelet do the work instead. How valuable my purity was. How not valuable guys who were just wasting my time and emotions were. If they weren't in it for the whole bracelet, why should they get one little part of it? Nate, he thought my bracelet was awesome, so he never tried to push anything, but he asked me to marry him. I never knew that so many years of torture could amount to so much happiness. I thought it'd be silly. I thought it was overrated, but now I'd never been more glad of anything in my life. As I gave my husband the charm bracelet in its entirety, I wondered why I'd found it so hard to hang on to those little rocks when it was so amazing to give them all to the man I truly loved. But it didn't end there. Now our daughter wears it. So quick recap. Try not to cry. I'm like, Jackie, how can we afford this? I need two of them. All right. Recap. The cultural myth is get all you can because physical pleasure is all there is to it. The second is that Satan uses sexual sin to get believers to sabotage themselves physically, psychologically, and spiritually. The third is that those who honor God with their bodies and wait to be married have the best sex. Those who have sinned in this area can become born-again virgins. Thank you, Jesus. Fight this to win. Find an accountability partner. And lastly, quote Jackie, love is patient, sex is awesome, wait for it. So here's my three challenges. One, get rid of any sexual temptations in your life. Break up with that girlfriend, boyfriend, throw out the phone. If you have to put it in the living room at night, whatever you got to do, get it out of your life. Flee from temptation and do it tonight. The second I want you to do is decide on your physical boundaries now. Make a map of your body. Figure it out. Who are you going to be? What are your values? And be able to communicate those to somebody. And third, focus more on Jesus than romance. He's the one that's going to be with you before a spouse. and be with you after a spouse. You'll be with him in eternity. He is worth a total and complete pursuit with your life. He's your number one. 
Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for a gracious elevate that gave me seven extra minutes. Lord, I pray that you will anoint them, empower them, give them discipline. Lord, I pray that every one of them has the marriage that you intended for them because you planted seeds in their hearts tonight that may frustrate them now, but it will be so beautiful, Lord, to have the marriage they've always hoped for. Bless them, Lord. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Okay, y'all, that was amazing. Amazing. Okay. I don't need to recap anything because the whole thing was awesome. Thank Mr. Leverance and Miss Katie. Couple with tons of wisdom. I just want to encourage you guys. Y'all are surrounded by godly couples that have amazing marriages. And so find those people. Seek those people out. Let them feed into you. It's not because any of them are perfect. It's because they have been through what you're going through. So use all the boundaries that Dom said. Find the right friends. And remember that the right person will not make you do anything that you're not supposed to. Anything that is against God. Yes? Agree? Love y'all. Y'all did awesome tonight. We're going to pray one more time super quick. Lord, thank you for this night. Lord, I pray that you'll bless every student here, God. And I just pray, God, that you will... Um, give them the wisdom, God, and the want to create the boundaries, God, that you would have for them. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.